0: So, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is giving at this point six case studies of examples of how us followers of Jesus should act as citizens of heaven on this earth. Last week we talked about anger and wrath and everything that had to do with that. And this week is going into case study two, uh, where we are going to deal with lust. What a great topic to go after. What I've realized by studying these uh, six case studies is how the Bible handles something called lists. Uh, lists are, are all over the Bible. If you look at the beginning of Matthew, uh, there is a genealogy list of a bunch of people. If you look at the Ten Commandments, it is a list of commandments that are like the most important ones that we should follow. Uh, but in those lists, they kind of, they do a bunch of different things. Sometimes in the Bible, they use lists where like the most important thing is at the front, front end, and then it becomes least important as you go on. Sometimes they sandwich the two most important, where the beginning and the end are the most important, so you don't lose interest when you're reading. And sometimes they are just completely difficult the entire time, where every single one is the most important thing, like the Ten Commandments. And when you read this, Uh, I have found that this is a lot like the Ten Commandments, that every single case study, every single part of this list is incredibly difficult to walk through, and it is incredibly relevant in our lives. So if you would like to, as we continue on, uh, open up your Bibles uh, to Matthew 5, starting in verse 27. Uh, If you don't have your Bible, that is okay. You can open up the Bible app. Uh, If you scan one of these QR codes and click on the Bible app, it will immediately uh, take your phone to that. If you don't want to do that, which I'm okay about not taking out phones, uh, you can uh, go on the screen here and just read along as well. So if you would, uh, read along with me. Uh, Matthew 5, verse 27, this is what it says. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. Or if you were here last week, Gehenna. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go into Gehenna. Well, that's in the Bible. Also, welcome to church. I hope that you are ready for today's uh, going through this lecture. But this is a conversation that, that we don't like to have. And this is a conversation that needs to happen in the church. Especially as us, as we're walking in discipleship with Jesus, trying to become more like Jesus, trying to make every decision that we that we make exactly like Jesus. In America, this is one of the most disputed topics of our generation, and this is one of the most talked about thing or least the least talked about things in the churches. That in our world today, we have the church saying one thing that you could probably see blasted all over social media. Uh, you have the news saying another thing. You have pop culture saying another thing. You have TV shows saying another thing. You have music saying another thing. And it can get very confusing at times on what it says about biblical lust or just lust in general. How are we supposed to act? It is clear that we, when we read in Scripture, and all of us will probably agree on this, that what Jesus says... What the Bible says, what God says, and what the world says is okay is getting further and further apart. We can feel that tension as we walk throughout our life. But what does Jesus actually have to say about this ever-growing sex culture? Like, what does Jesus have to say about something like the, the biblical term, lust? What and what are we supposed to do about it? Uh, I, re- I was reading and, and studying for this, and, and according to the New York Times, which is, which is always great, Here's what it said in, in a study. It said, 49% of participants have said that they have slept with somebody on the first date. Uh, with those who didn't saying they prefer to establish an emotional connection before getting into bed. Rachel Wright, a relationship expert, defined sex as a meaningful experience of pleasure and said, old-fashioned ideas can create shame, shame for those who want to be intimate on the first meeting. Sex on the first date can be beneficial. If you want to have sex on your first date, here's the thing. There is no right time, in quotes, to have sex, she said. The concept of don't give, the, uh, don't give away the milk for free and they won't like me anymore if I give it up too quickly are old-fashioned and antique, and create, and can create such a shame culture for people of all ages and genders. Another study has shown that in 2001, so uh, 22 years ago, the porn industry uh, was a $10 billion industry. And with the rise of smartphones, especially in 2007, with the invitation of the iPhone that most of us have, where we can basically have internet wherever we want, whenever we want, it has now grown to a $100 billion, with a B dollar industry. And we have noticed that it has leaked into the leading shows and everything over the past couple of years. Where now the leading shows of our time are The Bachelor uh, and its counterpart, The Bachelorette. We have HBO shows, ever-growing popular Game of Thrones, and we have Netflix shows such as Bridgerton and so much more, where in America, both men and women have gotten to the point where they have found it okay to watch, okay to read, and okay to listen to content that promotes lust in our everyday life. And we've gotten to the point where we justify these things saying, well, I'm not the one that is doing it, And I'm not hurting anybody, so it must be okay. In 1970, we have also noticed that in 1970, 77 of adults were married. And now, as of 2020, I think this was 2022, 31% of adults are married. And that will continue to drop drastically because this year was the lowest year of newly married people. And it will just continue to go down and down and down. Now, that is a lot of information that we, can, that we have seen over the years, but there is something going on here, and there is something that the Bible directly talks about with our discipleship to Jesus, and we need to put some things into practice before it just completely takes over us. That what Jesus talks about in this section, that there are certain views of each other, whether it's male or female, that can be very destructive. That there is one thing that will get in our way when having relationships in which we'll end up hurting our communities and our church that we need to talk about. Jesus said this, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. And we have found this in in an Old Testament teaching of the Ten Commandments. This is nothing new. If you were here last week, we talked about that phrase when Jesus said, you have heard it said. When he says this, what he's doing is just referring to something that everybody would have known about, which was part of the Ten Commandments. And what it is, is adultery in marriage is, is this. When one party of the marriage is unfaithfully sexually, that is how you are an adulterer. There is a breaking of a covenant between two people in marriage that when you go before God, you have this covenant together that you will stay together. Do not let anything separate you. And if you break that covenant, that makes you an adulterer in the spouse and a separation of that marriage can happen. There's another definition, if you, if you read your Bible, which I always recommend, there's another definition that you might run into as you read your Bible, where God looks at a group of people and he calls them an adulterous people, which probably felt awful to hear if you were part of that group. But God was referring to in this moment where there was a covenant between God and the people, which we see about five times throughout the Bible, And any time that group of people that had a covenant with God broke that covenant, God referred to them as adulterous people, where they decided no longer to follow the covenant with God, but decided to make another covenant with different gods. That made them a breaking of a covenant. But what Jesus is talking about here is the first one that we need to understand, that it is between essentially a married couple— or another person looking at another person which we'll talk about but jesus is not talking about just adulterous people with god but a very individual of us in community how we are supposed to respond but the thing is is jesus is talking about to all sorts of people if you've been with us since the beginning of matthew you know that jesus in the sermon on the mount is not just talking to married people And he's not going to talk about this just so that he could exclude the non-married people, but this idea that Jesus is bringing up of how we should live our life is just as relevant to the single people as it is to the married people. So Jesus goes directly to the heart of what he wants for his Christians or his followers. He says this, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So, it's no longer just the action, but it is something of the heart that he is addressing here. See, in the time of Jewish culture, and you can still kind of find this in the Middle East, that the relationship between men and women are not equal. And you might even find this in America in some pockets of culture as well, that the value of men was much higher than the value of women. So what, it, what the order was, was there was men, and then there's a big gap, and then there was women, and then there was an even bigger gap, and there was children, and that's how they lived their life. That not only were men and women created differently, but they were actually viewed differently in the eyes of God, that, that, that men were more valuable than women. And if you remember in the section in Jesus, in the scripture, Jesus is hitting really hard at the heart. That it's not just your actions, but he wants your heart. And the disconnect between the Jews of that time that he's talking to and what Jesus is talking about is one thing, that is your actions. That you could think whatever you wanted, that you could say whatever you wanted, kind of, as long as you didn't touch or act on anything, then you were good. But when looking at the original meaning of this, there was a married person standard that Jesus is talking about and a standard of the heart, and there is a single-person standard that he is talking about of the heart. That this writing is viewed, that even though this writing is viewed through the man's perspective, in today's culture, it can be applied to both male and female. In the original writings, in the original text, basically what Jesus is saying is that you shall not look as a man, look at another man's woman, and expect that one lustfully that if you do that, you have already committed adultery, but you have also seen the underlying heart thing here, that it's not just a a married woman, but also a single woman as well, that if you are a married man and you look at another woman lustfully, whether it is married or non-married, that you have committed adultery in your heart, that a heart of what Jesus is talking about here, which leads me to my first point, is not just what you think or that you have wanted, what actually is going on in your heart is you are going through an objectification of another woman. That when men use women for their own sexual pleasure is what is actually happening. For a married man, it is the desire to have, to have in their heart. Thinking that basically your wife is not good enough that you need to either take or borrow another woman to fulfill the desire in your heart that you want that you might not have communicated at all. It's almost in line with the other commandment that Jesus or God te- tells the people that you should not covet, you shouldn't desire somebody else's property. And he's kind of word playing along with that. And for an unmarried man, it is using a woman for your own desire and then throwing them away as though they are property as though they're an object. It's like they're a tool for you to use. That you use them for a while or whenever your desire is filled, and then you either throw them away or place them back where you took them, just like a tool on a shed. Now that's everything that Jesus is talking about in this little section. And there is a lot here. And you can just tell that we could go in many directions from this Scripture of different avenues in the United States or in our culture that we struggle with when we use each other, not just in a sexual way, but all over. But especially in our American history, in our view of sex, with our TV shows that revolve all around sex now, our advertising and marketing, which has has just gone an increase in sexual desire, our movies, our music, and our internet habits and more. But at the foundation of what Jesus is doing here is setting a new standard. And, And it's honestly beautiful of what he's doing here, that Jesus was the very first rabbi to say, where men and women, though created differently, are equals in the kingdom of God, or in the kingdom of heaven, and should be treated as such. That's why when he was on earth, he was able to love the men and where they're at, and he was also able to go to the women, and he was also able to love them both equally. And lust is the number one way around the world that even though we say we are equal, even though in our Pledge of Allegiance that we used to say every single day when we woke up, says we are equal, even though growing up, we say that we are equal, we grew up learning that in school, our hearts and, our, and sometimes our actions do not treat each other as equal. And we say horrible things to each other. And we listen Do horrible things that they say about each other. And sometimes we don't even think they are horrible. We will watch porn or things on the internet and we will say, well, we're not trying to hurt anybody. We don't get the support or love that we think from our spouses, so we end up reading, watching movies and and reading books to fulfill that need. Basically, if somebody is, is... Is liable under anything that is labeled under the arts we just find it okay as long as that arts sticker is on it because for some reason we believe that the arts is a gray area and we are quick to judge those who engage in those things on the screen but we don't find it okay for us to do them in our own hearts see I say all these things not to make us feel bad but I want us all to understand that that being that we are all being formed in something. That every time we listen to something, every time we watch something, every time we engage in something, every time we have a conversation with somebody, we are being formed by the things that we consumed. So we need to not let certain parts of our culture be a threat to our spiritual formation, which should be being formed into the nature of Jesus and nothing else. Because if we get formed into something that isn't Jesus, then we will struggle to love the members of the opposite sex because we have been conditioned by the world to use each other. Once again, Jesus doubles down on this by sharing on how important this is, just like he did in anger. He said this, if your right eye causes you to stumble— Gouge it out and throw it away because it is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into Gehenna. And if, if your right eye causes, a right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away because it's better for you to lose one part than your whole body to be thrown into hell or Gehenna. Jesus, just like last week when reconciling with your neighbor, he is, he is showing how serious this matter is by using a literary technique called hyperbole where he exaggerates the situation and paints a picture on just how important it is to get rid of this in your life. Don't let it sit. That it's better for one part of your body to experience suffering or to experience withdrawal in its life, for your entire body to experience what we learned about last week, which would be hell on earth. And I do, I do believe, just a side note, that I don't believe Jesus is into self-mutilation here. Like, I don't think that he's, he's calling you to, like, take out your pocket knife and to just cut off your hand. Um, because what I believe, what, what it's clear to hear, that if Jesus was actually talking about lust and wanting to remove one object, there actually is probably one member that should be removed, and Jesus doesn't talk about that. Well, maybe he did, and Matthew, just being a good Jew, just didn't want to write those words. But Jesus understood how destructive this could be. Not just for the body of believers, where men in the church are looking at other women in the church. If this happened, this would be just awful. What would happen if the men were, were lustfully looking at other people in our community What would first happen is there would immediately be in place a hierarchy where men were valued more than women. There would be a lowering of women in church to almost nothingness, and then all of the women in this church would be furious at the other women because they were getting more attention than they were from their spouses. And I've seen this happen before. And if you don't believe me that this could happen, just volunteer at any major youth ministry and just see this happen amongst the kids and and women and and of the boys where lust is just run rampant amongst the teenagers. This is what happens where men are just together women are just together and all the women are mad at each other because some boys are getting more attention than others. And that's just inside the church. We as Christians are supposed to be the redemptive avenue that brings Jesus into the world to elevate people towards the standard that Jesus commands, which is love. Jesus calls the people you are sitting next to, and that we learned last week, your brothers and sisters. Don't let it sit. Remove it from your life so that not only you can find peace and remove that suffering that just agonizes some of us, but you can go into the world and say, it is possible to remove this suffering in your life. It is possible. It is possible to find peace of suffering. And we have learned over the time that it is better to follow the ways of Jesus and trust in Him then look at the ways of the world and say, I know better and I know how to fix this problem. So we have about 10 minutes left in our sermon. Are you guys okay with talking about divorce real quick after that? Well, I'm going to anyways. So this is what it it has to say. Starting in verse 31. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, that anyone who is div- divorces his wife, except for sexual imm- immor- immorality, makes her a victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. The reason, uh, what, he, what Jesus is talking about here, and what, Jesus, and what uh, Jesus is referring to, is an Old Testament teaching from Moses. And it was in Deuteronomy 24.1. Because that just sounds utterly confusing, what Jesus is talking about. And this is what Moses said to his, the Israelites that he was, that he was leading through uh, the desert. It says this, If a man marries a woman who, be, who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes a certificate of divorce, give it to her and send her from his, send her from his house. The reason Moses uh, said this, and he was talking about the Israelites, is because this people group, especially the women, were essentially viewed as property. And he saw that this was an ever-growing issue amongst the people. So what men didn't do, or what men did, is if they did not like what their wife was doing, whether it was like they didn't make dinner right, they, they looked at him funny. Maybe they sneezed weird just a little bit too long. Maybe they snored at night and they just didn't like it. What they would do is they would just be like, I'm done with you, wife, you can now leave. But it was also said under tradition that up to a certain amount of years after you removed your wife, you could reclaim your wife to come back to your house. So what would happen is these Israelite men would remove their wife and then they would find another, uh, another husband and then some years later, the original husband would claim back his property, his wife. And then that woman, because she had another husband, would be an adulteress, which just seems like a terrible conundrum. If they were in a community together, this would have been miserable to deal with. So what Moses is doing is actually, is like the best case scenario for divorce because it's, it's obvious divorce, they don't want it to happen. So what Moses is doing is elevating women saying they are not property. So if you want to be, if you want to divorce your wife, you have to give her a certificate of divorce to say, I no longer have ties to her, and she is her own person to decide what she wants to do, which was, which was very, very good for that time. Moses made women not property anymore. So if you fast forward to Jesus's time, there was this argument that was going since Moses said that, which was, what does something indecent mean? So if you want to divorce your wife, what does something indecent mean? Was it you had an argument? You didn't like it? Was it that she, as everybody does, she starts to age? She doesn't look like she did 10 years ago. Is that something indecent? She forgot to wash the dishes. Uh, She didn't raise the kids the way that you wanted to. She forgot to do the laundry. She sneezed funny. So basically what they have, have dealt with up to this point was that the common teaching was anything that you didn't like you could divorce your wife she did anything or nothing it didn't matter you could divorce your wife and this made the divorce rate in the first century jews incredibly high it was a high divorce rate so what jesus did was something absolutely beautiful he corrects the mindset he brings the standard up to what god wanted that divorce, or that, that, that marriage is a covenant in between two people that should not be broken, that it is so pure and is so good that just looking at somebody in a lustfully can damage that covenant between you and your spouse. That it isn't just if you don't like the current situation, you can move yourself, that is not it, but it is elevating everybody to equal standards. Jesus wants all of us to understand through this, male, female, married, non married, that people are not objects to be used. People are not objects that you can just use and just throw away. That we are supposed to view each other as equals in love. And we combat this by understanding that love is not an emotion that our culture just so heavily wants to push on us, but it is a choice. Now, that choice can stir up emotions on how we should lead, but we should not be led by emotions or, or because if we do that and we enter a relation based on emotions, we will just re- go into this relationship as, I'm going to receive what I want to. So whenever you do that and you have received everything that you want and it, you have gotten everything you want, you will just remove yourself from that, re- that, from that relationship if the relationship is based on emotions. The number one reason people leave relationships, and the number one reason of today's culture that people get divorced in America, is what people says is, "I don't love them anymore," is what they say. And when the counselor dives a little bit deeper into what they mean by that, the response is, "Well, I don't have the, the same feelings that I had when we first got married. The hard reality is when that happens is that that relationship was based on using each other and not serving each other. That they were objects the entire time and they did not realize it. That both parties were just using each other to fulfill maybe a checklist that their parents had for them. Maybe just peer pressure of everybody else is getting married so I need to find somebody. And they weren't growing in life together, in living life together to live in eternity with each other to push each other, to become more like Jesus. Now Jesus sets this example, which is absolutely beautiful. And he goes before us to the end of his gospel, which is absolutely beautiful. That he himself, being God himself, created all of us not to use us, but to commune with each other and to commune with us. That it doesn't matter what your background is, that he loves you. That it doesn't matter what you have done in your life, he still elevates you to the standard of which he views you, which is love. Tim Keller uh, said and stated that this is what Jesus did for us when he looked at us. He said this, that you have been seen and that you are loved that there are no conditions on what something is in your life, but that you are loved at the standard of the very beginning. That, that you are not a tool to be used, but you are a, a, an object of fellowship and communion where he elevates all of his creation to the standard of sainthood. So I don't know where you are in your relationship with your spouse. I don't know where you are how you view other people in this world. You might be in a position where you do struggle to love your neighbor as yourself. Maybe you really do struggle to love in the standard that Jesus sets for the opposite sex because of just being formed by this world. I want to encourage you today to take a step forward in your faith and trust that the ways of Jesus and what He talks about is actually the best way to live. Instead of going through a situation and looking at it and saying, I know Jesus says this, but I think I can handle this myself. I encourage you not to do that, but go back to the scriptures and follow the ways of him. Because not only would it help you in your life to remove the anxieties and fear and just the turmoil of this life when it comes to lust, but it'll also help you in community with your brothers and sisters and the people that you sit next to. That your conversations will be better. That your, that your relationships will be more intimate. That you might actually get to the point where you can have a trustworthy best friend in your life. That is how we're supposed to live our life, according to Jesus. That do not let your life be formed by the ways of this world, but be spiritually transformed by the ways of Jesus so that we can become more like Him. I'm going to ask you guys to stand as we end this service. I'm going to pray over our, ourselves. I'm going to pray over our week before we go. That we move maybe just one step further to become more like Jesus in our life. That we take one step further in becoming a disciple of him. To spend more time with him and becoming more like him. So God, as we come before you in this teaching,